Hello, brothers and sisters. Pastor Jason here. Excited to be back with you here on this episode. I want to continue in this episode and talk about the feasts. I know we've been going through quite a few of those lately, but man, as God's really been using this to speak to me, and I hope that you learn to apply the feasts to your life. I really encourage you as you read things in the Old Testament that you think to yourself, how can I apply this to my life? I used to read the Old Testament and I was like, man, there's so much to do and so many things going on, but God is using his word. He's infinite in his wisdom. His ways are higher than our ways. He speaks to us about things. And as we learn about the customs of the Jewish people, it's actually, uh, I've heard it said before that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So when we, like we look at the book of Hebrews and we listen to when Paul's talking to the Hebrew people, we, we see some things he's talking about, about some of the things when he's talking to the Hebrew people, he talks about things as far as the law and he talks about grace. And when he's talking about the law, when we know the feast and we know what he's talking about, we can understand some of the things that the Jewish people are going into. They were some of the most regimented people that in this world world's ever seen and still are today, if you will. But I think it's important for us to be able to see, okay, how can that apply to our life today? So first of all, I want to recap a little bit. We're coming into the the final in gatherings is what they call it, but it starts for we've been to, we're going to the, the trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets. And so we just come out of Pentecost and there was three months that there was no feast at all. The Tammuz, the Ab, and the Elul, excuse my pronunciation there, but there were three months where there was no no feast going on. So this was a time of that the harvesting. Remember how I talked about it being the beginning of the wheat harvest on Pentecost and the barley harvest on Passover. But now we're going... Uh, uh, to where there was the fruit harvest and there was really no other uh, no, no other feast going on. But now we go into the final at the end of all harvests. Whenever we enter in to the first day of Tishri is at T-I-S-H-R-I. And that's where we're going to enter in. And I find this in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 24. And it says, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of the trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And so it starts off at the beginning day of the month, and this was all preparation. It was all getting ready for the day of atonement on the 10th. And then we're going to go into tabernacles last but not least the 15th to the 21st. So we're about to have three feasts here in a row, but this was a day of rest. And really the feast of trumpets, uh, believe it or not, it gives the implication of how do I apply it to my life? It should be a spiritual growth process. Uh, the writer of the book that I've been reading says it's probably the third step that most Christians come to in their life. And I've found that true in spiritual principles in people's lives. I believe that when most people are saved, they fall under the law, trying to meet the aspects of the law. They try and they try and they try. And so that's one of the first places. But then when you finally realize that you can't 
meet all of the demands of the law. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we try to keep his commandments. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. But there is a place in spiritual maturity that we learn to enter into his rest. And that's what the application of this would be. The prophetic application of this is the time when there was no heart, when there was no feast, it's a time they call the church age. So when we look at the Feast of the Trumpets, it's it's finally saying it, the, prophetically in the last days, we are in the place, we're in that place of the, the fruit harvest, if you will, or where there were no feasts of those three months, Tammuz, Ab, and Elul, we're in those three-month period. That's called the church age or the church period. And that's we're kind of coming on the latter day. We're coming to prophetically, we're coming to the place in the church that the Jews, God will then call his people back to himself again. We know there's no peace in Israel. We know there's no peace for the Jewish nation right now. They're in constant battle, but there's coming a day when God then will gather again his people into himself. And so that's how it looks prophetically, but also in the life application for us, it is a time of rest. I mean, there was a time of labor that they were out working, they were out harvesting, they were out laboring in the heat of the summer and you know they basically in the the feast of the trumpets in that would be like the month september october so things are starting to cool off it's start you know you're trying to get the i mean we're so excited for summer right now this time of year to be here that you know we're coming out of spring going into summer here but at the same time after at the end if you're a farmer and you're out working in the field you're going to be exhausted you're going to be ready for some shorter nights you're going to be ready for some cooler weather some cooler temperature. And that's, that's what we as Christians need to learn is that, you know, I was thinking about the word rest as we enter into God's rest. And it's almost, it's almost like a oxymoron. It's like, we, we need to work as Christians. We need to, we need to share the gospel. We need to, we need to enter into this rest also. And I want to talk about that just for a minute, because really when we enter into his rest, we, it's, it's like part of us spiritually in my life anyway, Part of me in, in my soul says, no, I can't rest. I have to work while it is yet day. I have to do the work of God. I need to be in my word. I need to be reading and praying. And that's all true. But that's not exactly what I want you to get from the rest. There is sometimes, I heard a preacher say, the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. There is a time we need that kind of rest. But I'm talking about resting in Christ, resting in his righteousness, resting in who he is. See, and the the Jewish people would always, the Jewish nation, they would blow the trumpet at the beginning of every month. You know, they didn't all have a Timex watch on, so they would blow the trumpet at the beginning of every month. But on the day of trumpets, they would blow it extra long and extra loud and for longer throughout the day. It was like a, it was like a resetting their spiritual walk. It was like, the, and then, of course, the resting from all the work. You know, it was, that's one reason why we choose a day of the week, you know, normally Sunday to be able to rest from our work. You know, I know some people can't, but there ought to be a time we need to rest from that literal work, but also there's a place of spiritual rest that we trust in Christ's righteousness. You know, I've heard it said, uh, the old analogy that I've used a hundred times is, you know, there was a, there was a couple 
and they went on a vacation and they were upset about the room, about the way that the room was kept on this desert, on this island. And they finally went to the room keeper and they said, look, they said, you know, our, our floor's dirty. You know, we can't, you know, we can't sleep like this. You know, our clothes are getting dirty. We just, we need a different room. So they found him a different room and uh, they went to another room and they went back to the room keeper and they said, look, the hotel manager, they said, look, our room is dirty. You know, what is going on? You know, we need to get the floor cleaner. So they sent someone in, they cleaned the floor. And they came back again and they said, look, we've, we've been here a couple of days and this has just got to change. And they said, we just can't have the floor so dirty. And finally, the manager of the hotel room said, sir, ma'am, I don't know what you want us to do because the floor is a dirt floor. And that's kind of a picture. That illustration is how we can clean ourselves up. And I believe in living holy. And I believe in living righteous it's to the best of our ability. But at the same time, spiritually speaking, we can only clean ourselves up so much. We can only do so much because our righteousness, the Bible says, is filthy rags. And when we get to that revelation, that's where a lot of people quit serving God because they say, God, I can never meet the demands of the law, if you will. I can never meet the demands of this Christian life. But there's a place that we can try hard, but we can also rest in him. So when Jason misses the mark, he can rest and know that God is his salvation. The psalmist said that he is the horn of my salvation. So he is that trumpet. He's the one that makes the loud sound that declares, I am righteous. Jason Bruns has no righteousness, but I rest in his righteousness. And there is a place of resting. Resting is a verb. See, I think some people think resting is just sleeping. We just go to sleep. The church or us in the Christian life is never to sleep or slumber. You know, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little full into the hands to him and poverty will become upon him. In Proverbs, it says, but it's not sleeping, but it's a resting, knowing that who our God is. Remember in the city of Jericho, it was the city of fear, Jericho, that was the first city the children of Israel went into the promised land that they had to conquer. Remember what they did? They walked around the city in silence, and for seven days they would send the Ark of the Covenant ahead and the, and the priests, and they would walk, and the people would watch them. And then finally, in their silence, they were doing what God told them to do. Finally, they blew the trumpets, and then by the miraculous power of God, the city fell. And that was a picture of how to overcome uh, anxiety, how to overcome those fears that we have because it's God. And as we begin to just trust in God and thanking God for who he is, a supernatural process takes place in our life exactly the way it is with our joy, exactly the way it is with our happiness. When we just rest, it doesn't matter what the world says about me. It doesn't matter what I even physically, some of us aren't as cute as other people. I'm sure one of them. I mean, it doesn't matter what gifts the people have around you or the money that people have around you. It doesn't matter because God says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And my identity is not found in who I am to the world, but my identity is found in who he says I am. Do you see the rest I'm talking about? And I believe that God wants us to enter into that rest. Why? Because if we get out on our own and we try to fight the devil on our own, we will be disappointed. We'll be just like the sons just gave you, we'll, we'll leave naked and bruised and beaten. But if we rest in Christ, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We shall be the head and not the tail, not because of what I can do, 
but because of what Jesus did. You see, whenever Jesus went to the right hand of the Father, he, he was standing at one time, but then he was seated. He was seated. He had, set, he had done all the work he had to do on the cross for us. And so my faith in the cross and the work that Jesus did allows me to rest from having to defend myself spiritually. And I know that's heavy, but I think it's so important for us to learn to rest. Let's, let's learn a place of knowing, you know, and I begin to think about when we really start serving God, how when we really take up the cross and we follow after him and we trust the Lord as our Savior and we repent of our sins, that the devil will unleash all the hounds of Hades on us. And and sometimes it's that place that people begin to fight, and, and they do, and they fight on their knees, and they fight in the Word, but they get tired and they get weary what Paul says, he said, be not weary in well-doing. So that, that's what I think the church age today, when we're fighting the battles we are. I mean, every, it seems like around every corner is a Christian trying to tell us that, you know, we're right wing or we're fanatics. You know, I heard the pastor say last weekend, he said, you know, it used to just be a Christian, but now we're called right wing fanatics. We just, it just used to be a Christian. But I mean, we got people fighting for the liberty of the people in the church to have an excuse to sin. It's like the church is running around trying to beat everybody up. This, and, and that's a real thing. They're trying to beat everybody up that's trying to live right. But really what they're trying to do, they're, they're, they're taking the grace card, if you will, and they're using the grace card saying, you got to quit being hard on people. You got to quit standing up for the truth. You got to, you got to just love people and just, you know, wrap your arms around them and tell them you love them. Well, how'd that work in California? How'd it work? I mean, they're full of refugees. Their streets are a mess, full of trash and dope needles and things laying around. Homeless people have literally taken over beautiful parts of San Diego and parts of California because that's what the that's what they've done. They've went in and patted the people on the head and say, oh, it's okay. You can stay here. We're not going to challenge you. We're not going to ask anything from you. You can just kind of live here. Listen, when you give people no demands at all, they will just take advantage and it doesn't they don't come out from where they are there is a place in the church what was jesus the bible says that he was full of grace and full of truth and the church world is losing the fact that there is a place to work for christ there is a place to repent of our sins to the best of our ability but then there is a place of rest and you know i've heard a, a treasure or, or the any randy alcorn that wrote the treasure principle he also wrote a great book um, called truth and grace the paradox of truth and grace and he said the church today and i'll get back to where we're i'll get back to the trumpets but I'm blowing a little different trumpet right now that he said that it's like that dog. He had a small dog. I've got a large dog. He has no problem holding two balls, you know, rubber balls in his mouth at the same time, but his dog can only hold one. So you throw one ball and it drops the other ball and it runs with the other ball. The church today has the ball of grace running with it. And I'm talking about what you hear about. I'm talking about what I've seen, even on our little community. I mean, people have such a hard time with someone that stands up and fights the devil and says, look, I am going to fight sin in my life. I'm going to do it. And it's not that people just run against you, but they feel threatened if you, if you preach too straight of a doctrine. 
But God help us because Jesus was full of grace. It's our job is to hold the ball of grace and the ball of truth simultaneously at the same time and be like Christ. He was full of grace, but he was full of truth. And as we learn to rest in him, we can do both of those things. We can rest because our identity is what Christ did and what he did on the cross, but we can also fight because we're not fighting. You know, what did scripture say? We fight not against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities and powers of darkness in the air. That's what the scripture says, that we fight against principalities. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that's what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says. So this, this spiritual walk is a wrestling match. Why do we need to learn to rest? Why, when, we, when they blew the trumpet, did they say, thank God it's a time of rest? The horn of our salvation has blown, and he blew the message loud from the cross, and we can rest in him at the same time we battle. I know it seems like a paradox, but the truth is if we don't learn to rest in him, we'll wear ourselves out. We, this is not a sprint, but this is a race. This is a, this is a walk. It is a fast walk, but it's not a sprint. We, are, we have to learn times of resting in him. When we're exhausted, rest in him. When we're happy, rest in him. When we're sad, rest in him. When we're worried, rest in him, because it's all about him. Paul said, I wish that you would know the many, the manifold grace of God. So we're to know the grace, but we also have to know the truth. And the truth is God's people need to enter into his rest. And I thought it was interesting uh, in Ephesians chapter six, when it talks about the armor of God, you know, we are, we are going to have to fight this battle, this spiritual battle. We don't, we, Hey, your battle is not with your kids. Your battle is not with your landlord. Your battle is not with your boss. You are fighting against principalities and powers. So how we rest in him, we rest behind the shield of faith. That's what Ephesians says. So we're to put on the shields of take on the armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, having all done all to stand. Therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. See, there was a belt that went around the armor that held everything up in place. I mean, if you walk around without your belt, your jaws fall down, if you will. I mean, ready to fight, you know, with the belt of truth. We need that belt of truth. Where's truth found in God? All truth came from God. There are some secular scientists, there are some secular humanists, there are some secular psychologists that have come upon truth, and they've found some things that really are good truth. And I've heard people say, well, that's a secular truth. There's no such thing as a secular truth. God is truth. Every bit of truth came from the master. We have to quit thinking in the realm of secular and humanist, because if it's humanist, it's a lie. If, but if it's the truth, it's of God. Even if somebody blinded of the things of God has stumbled onto a truth that works, a principle that works, it first came from God, because the devil cannot tell the truth, the scripture says, but there's no truth found in him. But God is truth. And so in that truth, with that belt girded about, holding, holding ourselves up, we need to have that truth. It's the first part. And then it says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Where was our peace found? 
Where was it found? It was found in when they put the blood over the doorposts at the Passover that gave us peace with God. We know, but see, they're not our shoes of peace. It wasn't our blood that was shed over the top of that door. It was the Christ. It was Christ's blood that was shed over the top of that door that protected us from evil. So I can rest because of the blood of the lamb and have the shoes of peace. My dear friends, we're missing the peace of God in this country. People are fighting battles and they've got all this emotion and they're all riled up and they're angry and anything you feed grows and they're feeding their anger. And then the other side's feeding their anger and they're all angry and they're all mad. And to be honest with you, I don't even know what they want. I know what they're saying, but I don't know what they want because it's just a bunch of hateful emotion on both sides of this deal between all of the things and the racism and the hatred and the bad cops. Sure, a lot of that's true, but it's been true for a long time. But we need to find a place of peace that in the midst of this troubled time, we can rest in God and we can rest with those shoes of peace and the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Whose faith is it? It's not our faith. Faith is a gift of God. Everything is a gift from God that he gave us the faith. The Bible says that he must grant us repentance repentance isn't just stumbled upon. God grants us that repentance. And by that, then many of us, we have that gift of faith that rose up inside of us and worked out into repentance. But we're to take this shield of faith that God's given us. And then then we're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Verse 17, Ephesians 6 says, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What was he? He, he is the word. He became the word. He is the word. He is the peace. He is the salvation. The helmet of salvation is all about him. He is the God of our salvation. He is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He is all of those things. He is the sword of the spirit. Sure, it's our word of God, but he was also the word that became flesh. He is him in Jesus, and we can rest in that. How do I fight this battle? I rest with my my shield of faith. I rest with my shoes of peace. I rest because of the helmet of my salvation, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he's given me. None of the tools have I attained by my own spiritual push-ups or my own spiritual pull-ups or my own spiritual exercises. Everything in him, all of it, was because I learned to rest in him to learn to stand, to fight the battle, to rest. Oh, if we could get this message across to people. It's not try harder and do more, but it's trust to rest in him more. It's resting from defending myself when someone says all, what did he say? He said, you will be persecuted. He said, you will be. When they speak all manner of evil against you, they're speaking it against me first. And we have panic attacks and we quit churches and we, we leave families and there's brokenness and unrest because we, we hold the opinion of others higher than the opinion of God. Why? Because we've not learned to rest in him. I'm telling you, friends, I'm looking for the day. Remember, one day the trump of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first from the resting. But the church today, as we know it, we need to work. But working is not exhausting ourselves. It is sitting back and trusting in the rest and the God, the trumpet of our salvation, that we trust in him to do the work through us. 
And I'll tell you, friends, if we learn to rest in him, we'll run well. You know, Paul said, what hindered you? What hindered you in this race? I'll tell you what's hindering the church today. Worry, apathy, depression, anxiety, divorce. Those things are all manifestations of a people that have not learned to rest in him. Uh, Someone told me the other day, they said, boy, it just seems so uh, boring sometimes maybe they were just being honest and I love the I love their engagement there just seems kind of boring sometimes being a Christian I said well you didn't fight as long as I did in the world and get as tired as I did of getting beat up by the devil I'm telling you when you learn to rest in God you'll see the blessing of God upon you friends I hope this word has been good to you I've sure enjoyed it hope you've enjoyed it you know press a like or a share if you enjoyed this and until next time friends I'll be back with you but God bless